0: You are listening to Word and Witness, Part 2, a Bay City Church sermon series in the Book of John. For more audio and video resources, visit baycity.church. The question I have this morning is really simple. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. But how can our expectations of God harm us? How can our expectations of God harm us? Um, You're probably thinking, what does that question have to do with the text, It's a great question. I'm I'm sure many, uh, many of you guys are asking that. But as you see in the scripture, there is something that happens between the Jews coming up to Jesus and Jesus' answer that is hidden but not hidden there. And what I know about you, what I know about me, whether you're a believer or not, and checking things out, is that you have expectations and you bring expectations into everything you go into. Right? Into your workplace, you bring expectations. You bring expectations into your marriage, singleness, dating relationships. You bring expectations into this morning's service. You expect things to be a certain way. It is almost natural for us to have those expectations. And, uh, and, and really simple, if you don't know what I'm talking about, expectations, a clear definition. Maybe you're kind of wondering. It's really just a strong desire, a strong desire to see something happen. To see something happen now or to see something happen later on. It's a strong desire or strong belief that something's going to happen or be the case in the future. And you bring it into everything. You, you almost can't walk into a relationship or a circumstance without expectations. And that's not a problem. Uh, that's not a problem. But many of us don't realize we bring expectations into our relationship with God. We bring expectations into our relationship with God that maybe, maybe we have not yet vocalized and told someone, but it's in the heart. It's in the mind. It's there we carry it in. So maybe I just have a list of some expectations maybe you have about God. And again, maybe you've never vocalized them, but you have said this uh, in your heart about God. Number one, uh, you expect God to grant you everything you pray for. Raise your hand if you would say, I would love if God gave me everything I pray for. Yeah, so we would love that, but some of us would say we almost expect that of God. Now, if you have really good theology, you know that's probably not going to happen, but still there's this expectation. God, would you give me everything I pray for? Maybe you would expect God to move on your timeline. Come on, somebody. God is not, uh, he's not concerned about your timeline. You know that if you're walking with Jesus. He does things on his timeline, but man, I expect him to do things the way that I want him to do things on my timeline. Maybe you would expect God, you go into the Christian life, and you expect him, man, I expect an easy life. Like, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I love you, you fill me with your Holy Spirit, you're going to protect me, you're going to give me an easy life. And so you expect that. And when something happens that's not easy, you wonder, where is God? Maybe you expect God to take away the hardship, or maybe you would just say, man, I expect God to bless my plans. You would never say this, I would never say this because it sounds bad, but inside of our hearts, man, I expect God to bless the plans that I have, that I am making. They're good plans, but I expect him to put his blessing on my plans instead of me living according to his plans. Expectations that we bring to the table. And this is what I know about expectations. The danger, the impact, really isn't in what we expect as much as it is in how we respond when it doesn't happen. And trust me, I'll I'll tell you a story in a second, but the the danger, the impact, your expectations matter, but when they really matter is not the content of it, but what happens when they don't get reached. What do you do in that moment when you have unmet expectations? The Jews and Jesus, as we're going to see in this scripture, they have some unmet expectations and their response is important for them, but also I believe is important for us this morning, I just want to give you a story as what this looks like in my life. You know, I just transitioned into full-time as We work on planning the church, but for the last two years, I've been grinding out, well, actually five years, starting this coffee shop, and we have a coffee shop in downtown Oakland. And uh, as we are working, you know, it's hard days trying to own a business and on the side while I'm pastoring and discipling folks, and it's just, I'm drained. And so when I come home, I carry this expectation into my house, this expectation that when I get home, the house is going to be cleaned. Come on, somebody. When I get home, I want to smell the scent of Swiffer on my wood floors. I want the toys to be picked up. I want my kids to have enough energy to come and say, Daddy, I'm excited you're home, but not too much energy to not listen. I have expectations that my wife, she's awesome and she does this, but that the food will be hot and ready to be plated because I'm really bad with my diet and I don't eat lunch. so I'm starving when I get home. Come on. So I have expectations around all of this. When I get into the house, things will be the way I expect. And usually, instead of, like, smelling Swiffer on the floor, I step on a Lego and want to cuss. Like, that's just how it is. That's the expectation. Like, something is unmet in this moment, I feel pain instead of delight. And my expectation is unmet. And in that moment... The content of my expectation is thrown out the window and all matters into what I say now, how I respond, face-to-face with the unmet expectation. might seem silly to you, but for me, in that moment when I'm really hungry and really want some peace and quiet and it's not peace and quiet... Everything now hinges on, how do I respond in that moment? And we're going to look at the text and see how Jesus interacts with the Jews in that way. So John 10, 22 to 42. Hopefully you have a Bible or some notes you are taking. We're going to work through an outline, really simple, so you know where we're going. Just three chunks of it. Uh, First, their unmet expectation. Just what was the unmet expectation? What did they have that was unmet? And then secondly, we'll look at the reality. And then their response to that unmet expectation. And then lastly, uh, maybe you caught it, but there is a merciful invitation that Jesus gives to the Jews that I believe he's extending to us right now. This morning at Bay City Church, and I pray that you, you would hear that invitation. So let me just read this again with you, John 10:22 to 24, this one section. What we'll do is just read some scripture and park and make some uh, implications and interpretations and move right on. So at the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, I love this. This is such a unique question. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly, yo, Jesus, stop playing games. I want to know who you are. You are keeping us in the dark. Let us know who you are. If you are this guy who's the Messiah, God's anointed one that God sent to save Israel, just tell us, bro. You don't got to play games with us. Now, if you know the Jews, you know you've been walking around with with this word and witness series, you know that the Jews probably aren't looking for answers to believe. They're probably looking for reasons to justify their disbelief. But it's still a question worth answering. Tell us plainly, if you are the Messiah, the one that God's going to send, that the prophets talked about, that the Old Testament prophesied, if you're it, just tell us and we'll believe. So interesting. That's, that's a loaded question. But you got to know that there is some expectation into that word Messiah. You see, the Jews in that day, the Jewish culture, the Jewish nation, Israel, they had some expectations around what this Messiah would look like and what he would do. It wasn't just any guy who could claim he's Messiah. They had a pretty uh, clear target of who this Messiah is. A couple of things is one, they believed this Messiah, the one that God would send to make all things right, that he was going to be a powerful political leader, that he was going to rise up on the scene, that he was going to don a crown and sit on the throne and rule and judge the nations, and that he would be powerful and would be a political leader that would make political moves for their advancement. They expected not only that, but that this political leader would deliver them from their oppressors. You see, at that time, Israel was under the oppression of Rome. Rome had their foot on the nation and limited how they worshipped and what they did. And man, Israel was crying out, God, send the Messiah who would free us from these oppressors. This powerful leader who's going to get us free from these captives. And then lastly, they would usher in the reign of of their kingdom. They wanted Israel, the nation of Israel, to be the kingdom, the nation that the other nations would bow to and look to. They expected this Messiah to rise up, the nation of Israel. They had loaded expectations, and rightfully so. If you read through the Bible, Isaiah and, and all the prophets, I mean, there are scriptures that talk about justice. Talk about a throne. Talk about righteousness. You know, there's reasons why they had these expectations. So they weren't all wrong at one sense, and and it wasn't all their fault, but they definitely had expectations. And I wanted to show you just a a contrast of, of what it looks like, of what they expected and the reality they were faced with in Jesus. And some of this might sound familiar because you've walked through this gospel story. You would know this. But it's so beautiful to see that that Jesus, he came as a servant, not a ruler. Man, they were looking for a ruler. They were looking for this cat who would come with the crown and the throne. And then they see this baby that rises up and lives 30 years in obscurity and a mundane job. Carpenter. I mean, he came as a servant, not a ruler. He donned a towel and washed his own disciples' feet, he did not wear a crown and said, you have to bow down to me, even though he had every right to you. He was a friend of sinners, not a judge. His kingdom was about God, not just about the Jews. They wanted the Messiah to make the Jewish nation rise up, like we said, but Jesus said, now the kingdom of God is for all people, Jews and Gentiles. That means insiders and outsiders. He came to replace the temple, not restore it. Jesus, man, he was, he was a G. He was like, look, y'all, come here. I'm going to tear down this temple. Tear down in three days. Go ahead, and I'm going to raise it back. Because he was talking about his life as the temple, his body as the temple, not your institution that they thought as the temple. There was a different thing happening that they were seeing right in front of their eyes. His salvation was through sacrifice, not force. Wow. His salvation was through sacrifice. They thought the Messiah would come and by force lead a triumphant victory for the nation of Israel, and he laid down his life. Expectations unmet. His requirement was faith, not law keeping. Wow. The Jews were all about, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were all about, you got to keep the letter of the law. Jesus, or uh, God will give you righteousness if you keep the law. And Jesus comes along and says, y'all can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. It's impossible to be perfect. And so the way in is through faith because I'm perfect. Faith, not law keeping. Jesus turns their expectation on its head. Jesus did not fit into their categories or their boxes. Their box, their expectations, if you want to think of it this way, your expectations of God are like a box. And in that box, you have things that you expect God to do and to be like. And and because of the Jews' expectation, Jesus was not fitting into that box. He was coming up against it every time because he did things almost opposite of what they expected the Messiah to do. So just like you and and I, we are kind of faced with a choice. We have two options when it comes to, to dealing with Unmet expectations, especially with God. The Jews had an option to one, be open to what God was doing, kind of reshift their paradigm and say, you know what, maybe I'm missing something here. Let me reshift the way I see God, I think about God. Let me not miss what God is doing. Maybe God is doing something that I might not be able to expect and foresee because, hello, He's God. I'm not. Be open to what God was doing. Or maybe the other option, the only option was to be closed off, to be stubborn-hearted, to give a stiff arm to what God was doing. Two options that you and I have with God when when He breaks outside of our box. Are we going to say, I'll roll with you, God? Or are we going to say, no, 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 you've got to fit into my categories? my expectations so let's see as we move on what what the reality and response was it's so interesting i love jesus he is logical he is truth-telling uh but he also throws things on the the head of when when he's actually talking to people and he challenges people and he asks questions but here in this dialogue he gives the jews a very clear answer so let's roll to the scripture again in john 10 25 i love this jesus (laughs) doesn't even sweat it they go, hey, man, Jesus, just tell us. Like, give us an answer. If this is who you are, just tell us and we'll believe. And Jesus says this in response. I told you, and you do not believe. Period. <laughs> the Jews are like, come on, tell us, tell us, tell us. Give me evidence, give me evidence. And Jesus says, I told you. I've already told you. You do not believe. What did he say? The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I love that. Isn't that what the series is all about? Word and witness. Jesus says, I told you. There were some words about it that verified who I was, but the words weren't enough. There were actually some witnessing, some some actions, some signs. The works that I did showed you as well. There was words and there was... Works. I love what John Piper says uh, on this quote. He says, I think, deeds alone do not make it clear, and words alone do not make it powerful. When you put those two together, you have words that make it clear who Jesus is, and you have deeds that verify and bring power behind the words. See, Jesus, if you're a skeptic in the room, you're like, how can I trust this Jesus? Jesus did not just have great teaching about who he was. He had great works that verified the teaching. His works verified his teaching. It wasn't just empty rhetoric. There was substance and power behind what he said. So he would say, hey, if you don't believe what I say, you got to look at what I do. You cannot say no to the evidence right in front of you of the signs that I do. So let's just walk through this really quick. I love this kind of summary of everything that Jesus has said up to this point. Just so you can see the evidence. Maybe you have missed a few weeks of this series. Maybe you don't know what Jesus has said about himself. This, this list in itself is, is uh, encouraging. And John 3, he said, I came from heaven. Then he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Later on, I am the unique son of God. He tells a crowd, he says, I will judge all of humanity. He tells some of his followers and the religious leaders, the Hebrew scriptures all speak of me. I mean, what a statement. This whole book that you study, they all speak of me. I perfectly reveal God the Father. I am uniquely sent from God. I think we have a few more on the next slide. I am the bread of life. Who says that? Are you you telling people that? Do you have people? If if Eddie says that to you, you should be like, I'm out of here. He could say, I have some good bread, but he shouldn't say, I'm the bread of life. No one says that unless they're insane or truthful. (laughs) I am the son of man. I am the light of the world. I am the door, what Eddie talked about last week. I am the good shepherd. I will raise myself from the dead. This was just what they had seen in the last couple years of his ministry. Is that not an amazing list? Look at who I am. But if that wasn't enough, he says, no, 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 but the works that I tell you. See, you've heard Jesus' words maybe through the Bible, but there also has been evidence of God's power in your life around you. There has. I know it. I know because I know my God. I know the God of the Bible that he isn't just speaking some blank words to your life. He is doing things in you, and if not in you right now, doing things around you that he wants you to see to put your faith in him. So let's look at the works that he's done just up to this point. And we know there actually is more in other Gospels. He turns water into wine. Come on, who doesn't want to follow a guy who does that? Turns water into wine. That's just a guy, save me some money, hopefully some good wine. Cleanses the, cleanses the temple. He saves a Samaritan woman, that was just so crazy because he's supposed to only save people who were in the Israelite faith. But this Samaritan woman was a Samaritan that Jews weren't supposed to come to. He heals a sick boy. He heals a sick man. He feeds a crowd of 20,000. He walks on water. He forgives the sin of an adulterer. And then he gives sight to a blind man. I can imagine Jesus saying, what else do you want me to do? (laughs) Like, what else do you want me to say? Jesus gave the words, and he gave the signs. And now it was in their, the ball was in their court to see what can I do with what has been given to me? But see, you know this, you probably caught on, you're smart. The problem wasn't unclear teaching. Mm -mm. And none of us can probably say that too. I've watched many of uh, Pastor Eddie's sermons. He's a solid teacher. He preaches the Bible. Uh, You have no excuse to say, I haven't had good teaching. This guy's a joke. Like, this is solid teaching coming from here. The Jews had no way to say, I didn't have enough teaching. There was so much teaching. The book of John even says later on that all the things that Jesus did and taught, they're not, they couldn't even fit into the library of books. So there was so much more that they had stacked up against them with words and witness. The problem wasn't unclear teaching. The problem wasn't a lack of signs. This is what it was. It was a refusal to believe. It wasn't because of unclear teaching. It wasn't because of a lack of signs. It was a refusal to believe. But see, as I read the Bible, I hope you do this as well. Uh, You're not just going, okay, cool, they didn't believe. Jesus says they didn't believe. Let's move on. You would go, why do they not believe? You would dig deeper. God has so much for you in your Bible reading when you ask questions and don't just take it for granted. You stop and you pause. So I just stopped and paused. Okay, why do they not believe? What's underneath this disbelief? And there's there's a lot of things, and there's some things that I'm not even going to talk about that's the cause, but but one of the things I think is really clear was the refusal to believe was born out of their stubbornness to see. The refusal to believe was born out of their stubbornness to see. You see, they had made a box. They had expectations. And they were not going to let anything break those expectations. One, and maybe this is the deep root behind all our expectations, a lot of them, they are usually self-serving. Right? Me coming home from my wife, having a hard day at work. Our kids are four and six. Lord knows you know they have energy. So it's a long day. She's working harder than probably I am. And the expectation that the house is clean isn't just a neutral expectation. It's an expectation that serves me. A lot of our expectations are self-serving. And the Jews, a lot of their expectations was self-serving. Serving, Sure, some of it was from the Bible, but had some self-serving motives. And so, of course, they wouldn't want anyone to wreck their expectations because that means they wouldn't get what they want to happen to happen. But Jesus was breaking the box. He wasn't able to fit into their expectations. And maybe this, in a personal way, for you guys, for us, when you limit God's plan, you miss seeing God's hand. When you limit God's plan, you miss seeing God's hand, and I know this right off the bat from personal experience. When I limit God to do what I want him to do on my timeline, I end up missing what he's doing somewhere else because I don't have eyes to see. My eyes are only adjusted to see what fits into my box. Maybe your eyes are only adjusted to see what you want to see, right? We all see what we want to see. You ever heard that statement? You see what you want to see. There's a lot of things that God is doing, but sometimes you only see a few things because you, you see things that line up with your expectations, with your ideas. Here's just a few examples that might be something that you have walked with God through. You expect God to mature you. It's a good expectation. Something we should expect. I expect God to mature me. But then after that expectation wells up in your heart and you pray and you hope that God will mature you, you you go through a season of suffering and and something gets taken away and and you go through pain and fire and trial and hardship and you're left saying, God, where are you? I thought I I expected you to mature me. I mean, I would expect if you're going to mature me, Bring me into a nice church, teach me the Bible, let me, let me watch some great sermons, let me read some good Bible curriculum, let me watch some good YouTube videos, and that's how I'm going to mature. And little do we know, because we limited God's plan to only coming from the good stuff, we missed God's hand in actually trying to grow us through adversity. If you limit God's plan, you miss seeing His hand. Now, praise God, he's so gracious that even if you limited his plan, he's still going to do the work if you're his son or daughter. But man, don't you want to see it when he's doing it? You want to see? I want to see it. My faith needs to be stirred up. I want to see, man, we went through some hard stuff these last five years. Some of the hardest things. Trying to come out here, we start we tried to start out at church and it didn't work, and we were working multiple jobs and have, and and on welfare and food stamps and all that stuff. I didn't even know what food stamps was until I moved to Oakland and I got smacked in the face with the fact that we were broke as a joke. And it was hard. Suffering, not having enough money, going into debt. And my expectations was, God, where are you? God, I thought I came out here to plant a church, and little did I know, I came out here to plant a church, but God said, I'm gonna plant something inside of you. You need to grow. Before you start helping other people grow, you need to grow. And because I limited God's plan for some time in that season, I missed seeing God's hand. Maybe for you, you expect God to provide for you. And you're like, man, God, give me a raise. Come on, throw some bones to your home. Like, give me a raise. Put some money into my bank account. Let me hit some lottos. Whatever you got to do, give me a little bit of help. And that's how I'm going to be able to provide. But man, for us, we were on food stamps and Medi-Cal. And we had our friends in the church bless us randomly with money and people take us out to food. But if I would have said, no, God, you need to give me your plan, my expectations for you to give me a better job, I would have missed the fact that he was providing for me so faithfully through other avenues. Maybe you are missing it. God really is providing for you. He is maturing you. But you have to expand your expectations, maybe even let go of your expectations of how he works. He's God. He's bigger. He's bigger. He does think differently. And lastly, maybe you expect God, man, God, would you speak to me? That's the cry of my heart when I read the Bible. God, would you speak to me? And and maybe you're like, man, I want this dream. You hear these videos, you hear these people, and they're like, yeah, God spoke to me in an audible voice. You're like, well, I want that. God will speak to me in an audible voice. But I I would love that. God, speak to me in a dream. Give me a prophecy. Give me something. Speak to me. Speak to me. Give me my calling. Tell me my destiny. Tell me what's going to happen. It sounds so cool. And we miss the fact that we have a Bible right in front of us open that is thousands of words of God's literal voice breathing out to us every time we come to it. Can you imagine God's heart? Man, we're over here going, God, why aren't you speaking to me? Because our box is God has to speak to me in this way. But God is like, son, daughter, I am speaking to you. Come to me. Do not limit God's plan. I don't want you to miss his hand. Jesus goes on to say, he says, not only, you not only disbelieve because you're stubborn to see, actually, he says in verse 26, 27, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Lord Jesus. Wow. You, okay, what, what's, what's happening, Chris? Like, I, thought, I thought it was about the expectations, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep? There's a lot of ways to explain this. Uh, but one of the clearest ways to explain it is, look what he says next. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you were here last week, saw Pastor Eric talked about sheep and how they really are not the brightest things in the world. But they know their shepherd's voice. They know to follow the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, you don't believe because you don't even want to hear my voice. You're not able to hear my voice. There's no desire to hear my voice. You're not in the, you're not in the fold. And a, a, a lot of this sometimes can be like, okay, so I don't get it. Is, is it their fault then that they're not in the sheepfold? Or is it Jesus' fault? Does Jesus choose people to come in here? I am not getting into that. I, I can say this. I know this from reading the Bible. That God will give. and Pastor A said this back in uh, a couple of months ago in John chapter 6, that God grants faith to those who want to believe in Him. There has never been a person in the the history of this world that has wanted to believe in Jesus, and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to give you faith. He gives faith to those. You know that God grants faith, right? Faith is a gift. The ability to be a part of His family is a gift But it's not like God's going, I choose you, I choose you, and I don't choose you, and even though you want to come in, I'm sorry, God's saying, man, if you want it, if you desire it, I will grant you the faith to be a part of this. And we see through the the, the life of the Jewish folks, they did not want anything to do with Jesus. They actually wanted to crucify him, which they ended up doing. They didn't want to follow him. Their disbelief was, was rooted in a stubbornness, to say, Jesus, you are not the Messiah. You are not what I want to line up with. And look what he says next. He says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Man, those are some strong words. Remember, the Jews are sitting there looking at Jesus, just this man, they think, and he says, I give my sheep eternal life. It's a pretty crazy statement. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And here's the the climax of this passage. I and the Father are one. Sometimes you don't even really need to have a sermon or a Bible study. You just got to look at the words. Like, don't get fancy with, with trying to study the Bible. Just look at them. What does Jesus say here? Like, I just read some commentary some people, and they try to take apart this, like, what does Jesus really saying? What does one mean? <laughs> now, it's great. I love it. I, I studied Greek in Bible college, which I, I forgot now, so I use Biblos.com. But, um, hi, I, whatever. Holler at you, boy. So, uh, I and the Father are one. What what is Jesus saying? Eternal life, snatch them out of their hand. This is what Jesus is saying. Go to the next slide. Really simple. I am God. Who gives eternal life? Only God can give eternal life. The Jews knew that. I am God. He's saying that. Statement. Next statement. I secure their salvation. He says no one can snatch the sheep out of my hand. You know what that means? He's not just talking about sheep, y'all. He's talking about you and I. Once you come into my fold, no one's going to take you. Not pain, not death, not suffering, not the enemy, not your sin, not the devil. No one. You are safe in my fold, forever saved, forever kept. Who can guard salvation besides God? And then lastly, I and the Father are one. And he's not just saying, I'm like God. Because he just said, look at all the evidence I gave you. The evidence of all the teaching and all the works. you got to know at this time, he's saying, I am one with God in essence. Divine being. Not just like God or similar to God. There's a divineness in Jesus. And look what happens to the Jews. Jesus claims he is God over and over again. And look what they do. You can go to the next slide. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They said, Jesus, would you tell us plainly who you are? What does Jesus do? He tells them plainly who he is. And what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. They weren't looking for answers. They were not looking for evidence to believe. Like I said earlier, maybe you are in this room and... Maybe you've kind of kicked some tires of the relationship with God and you're kind of checking things out and maybe you're angry at God for some stuff and, and you, are, you are not here or you're not praying, you're not asking Christian folks excuse me, questions because you want some reasons to believe you are actually mad at God. Disappointed because he didn't meet your expectations. And now you're in the stage of life where you are looking for reasons to blame him. Looking for reasons to go, aha, that's why. It was your fault, God. The Jews weren't looking for answers because they were all—they probably had stones in their back pocket before they even asked that question. You ever had stones in your back pocket before you asked God a question? And the moment God answered, bah, got you. That's not, nah. You look for reasons to justify your disbelief. I do it all the time. I look for reasons. And Jesus wants to free us from that. And he says this, Jesus answered him, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? He brings it back to the works again. He says, don't you see all the things I've done? And I think Jesus would say the same thing that you and I, right? Have you seen the things I've done? Have you been a part of the church? You've probably seen lives change. Seen folks come in. Maybe it's you in your life. Seen folks come in not believing. And now they are loving Jesus and giving their life to live Jesus. I I have been around folks in our church who have given up six-figure salary jobs to serve at our church for free because Jesus saved them and changed them. That is evidence of God's power, and I would be blind to not see that. What evidences are around you that maybe you're missing? Jesus would point you back to. Look at what God has done. Maybe in the past, look at what God has done in your life, in your mom's life, in your husband's life, in your kid's life, in this church. Don't miss that. We're always looking for the next thing that God's going to do. But there's such a big highlight in remembrance of what God has done. Because your present and future faithfulness is actually hinging on the fact that you can remember God's past faithfulness. Let me remember what God has done. Let me see evidence of God's faithfulness in the past. What drives me to drive into this church planning journey with faith and passion and expectancy and hope and confidence is not because I am so good. It's because God's been good to me in the past so I can go in strong with confidence in the future that he's going to act the same. I've seen the evidence. Have you seen the works that God has done? And Not to show you he's Jesus' salvation and wants to save you, but maybe as a Christian, man, he wants to take care of you. He wants to mature you. He wants to bring you closer into looking more like him. Look what Jesus says, or the, the Jews say. Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but you for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. In the, in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, there really was things that said it was blasphemy, to, to be a man and acclaim deity, to make yourself God, to make it almost like idolatry, to make yourself into Yahweh. But here we go again, back to the expectations. It was blasphemy to be a man to make yourself God. They were right. They were totally right, but they missed it. God right in front of their face, and they missed it. Their expectations did not make room to allow the possibility of God becoming a man. They said, no, 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 it's impossible for you to be a man, to make yourself God. We're going to stone you. And Jesus sits there, I can imagine, didn't he have to say anything. He says, man, you're missing it. I am God, and i become a man to save you. You think that salvation is coming in one way. God flipped it on his head and came down as a baby lived a life. And if you, maybe you know the gospel, maybe not, but sometimes we, we kind of lose the awe of the gospel, that the fact that the God of this universe, who spoke the 200 billion galaxies into existence, came down and walked this earth. And not only walked this earth, but the gospel says, this crazy thing, the gift exchange, where we give Jesus our sin, and he gives us his righteousness, See, if I were to write the story of how God saves humanity, it probably wouldn't be God coming down in the form of a baby to live uh, in in obscurity for 30 years, become a carpenter, become a a, a teacher of the law, get some ragtag group of disciples, one of them who betrays them, die on a cross. That's not the story that I would write for salvation. And that's not the story the Jews expected. And because they didn't Open up their expectations, shift their paradigm. They were stuck on that. They missed the salvation right in front of them, that God had become a man. It's a miracle. Don't grow, don't grow weary of that truth. Don't lose the, the awe of the fact that God become a man and would enter into your world, into your space, and say, I'm going to live the life you couldn't live. It's not man becoming a God. It's God becoming a man. And then I just love Jesus because you would think at this point in the story, he would say, look, y'all, do you want to stone me? That's fine. And like strike lightning down or something. Jesus doesn't do that. There's plenty of times he could have done that and been totally justified in doing so. But I love what Jesus says. Man, this is such a great picture of Jesus' character. Look at the scripture in John 10, 37. He says if i'm not doing the works of my father then don't believe me wow what a challenge if i'm not doing the works that god wants me to do that god authorizes don't believe me but if i do them even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and i am in the father do you see what jesus is doing here He is face-to-face with obstinate, stubborn people who do not want to give into the fact that God has come down and is offering salvation right in front of them. And Jesus doesn't go, you're evil, forget you, and walk away. He says, no, come on, just believe. I, I, I get it, you might not believe the words, but at least look at the works. He gives a merciful invitation to the people who were just about to kill him. Now, you know in the timeline, this is right before Jesus' crucifixion in the story. So this is probably likely one of the last times Jesus was talking to a crowd of Jews this size at this time. It was almost like one last offer to the Jews. Hey, know we had some rough patches. I know you you hate me. (laughs) I see the stones in your hand. You've been trying to kill me. It's probably the third time the Jews try to stone him in, in the story of the Gospels. But Jesus says, hey, if you don't believe my words, look at the works. There is evidence. There is fruit. There is proof. And I think Jesus would say to us in the way that only he would to reconsider at the evidence that is all around us. Reconsider the words. Reconsider the works. That Jesus is so merciful and patient with you that he would go, Child, I know you've been holding on to your expectations, but man, just let them go for a second. Let them open up. Let them, let them go away so you can see who I am. So you can believe And trust. He's inviting us to take another look. And maybe with these two questions, we would end. Have you limited God to your view? Non-believing person, Christian, whatever you are on that spectrum, are you limiting God to your view? See, it's easy for us mature Christians. No, 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 I'm not. I believe the Bible. But look at, introspectively, into your life. Are you limiting God to, he has to do things the way you want him to do things? And are, how are you responding to your unmet expectations? Because at this point in time, it wasn't about the Jews expecting the Messiah to be one way, like I said earlier. It was about how were they going to respond in that moment. They missed it. They missed God's salvation right in front of them. May it not be so of us, that we have his words and his works around us, that we would see God as who he is. And just a big idea, what I would r- love to wrap this up uh, Hopefully, this is kind of something you can take home to be encouraged by and to, to think about and be challenged by. Uh, just one last encouragement. Do not hold God hostage to your expectations. He is bigger, he is more beautiful, and he's more complex. You've got to know that. Any expectation you're going to have about God, he is bigger, he's more beautiful, he's more complex. And most of the time, he's going to do it his way, not your way. And we praise him for that because his way is better. Amen? Would you pray with me?